$50 off the all-in package. You want offensive line rankings, you want cornerback rankings, you want Dynasty Deluxe, you want the lineup genius. It's all part of the all-in package. $50 off on playerprofiler.com. Get some. This is the decision point with Anand and Dury. Anand, welcome back. It's been many days since we have spoken, and uh, we have a lot to talk about, a lot to catch up on. We were right about so many teams. I mean, we really nailed the NFC North with the uh, glaring exception of the Detroit Lions, but the the big fade of the Packers. So many in the chat were like, you can't fade Aaron Rodgers. You're overthinking it. No, 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 no. You're bullish on the, the Vikings to win that division, fade the Packers into oblivion. One of the reasons why was the assured ascendance of the Detroit Lions. That's not working out. Every other, like, we were telling you, fade the Cowboys, take the Eagles. I mean, it was just down the board, we nailing it. Uh, the AFC West, not as good as we thought. No, definitely not. Right, and so AFC West, disappointing. And the Detroit Lions are disappointing, but I don't think Brad Holmes is disappointed. It's a weird conflict of interest now that's playing out in Detroit where Dan Campbell clearly fears for his job. Anyone that's been with a team through losing record after losing record and then wakes up and looks up and it's, oh, we're one and four again, that coach is terrified of losing his job. Meanwhile, the general manager with more job security is thinking, well, this is going exactly according to plan. I mean, I'm thinking Brad Holmes, if this is somehow engineered by him, that he's soft pedaled certain players coming back from injury, you know, slowing everything down, like, whoa, 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 everybody. We're a year away. Just pile up as many losses as possible. That they could do this without, like, outright coercion like they tried to do in Miami, right, without the owner intervening and offering bonuses for losses. If Brad Holmes can do this under the radar and get them a top-five pick, oh, baby. Look, I mean, it's setting up perfectly for Detroit, right? Like, they're fun. They're interesting. More than anything else, they're fucking watchable. Like, you can't, you can't, you can't be bad and unwatchable. That's the thing. You can't sell that product to your fan base. You can't say we're building and be unwatchable. The Lions are not unwatchable. Actually, they're one of the most fun teams to watch in the league, period, because they're scoring and then they're giving up points at an absurd margin. They're very watchable. Look, and that's the thing, right? Like you need to there's a there's a certain process that you have to follow to being a good team. If you start as a bad team, you need to learn how to lose small before you can win small before you can win big. Right. And the problem is so many people want to skip that lose small step. Right. There are really good head coaches that don't get a second run. They don't get a second year because they lost a lot of one score games and the team looked bad doing it. This is the right approach. If the Lions continue to lose at this rate. Right. Oh, baby. And remember, the Rams look bad. 
Why, wait, wait, wait. Why does it matter that the Rams look bad? Who cares? The Rams, the Rams need to start rebuilding, man. They, they could, they could start losing. They should start tanking now. You know, get, get a high first round pick and they could start to rebuild because what they've been doing is just punting all their picks for one year contracts for rentals, microwaving a championship. And now if you microwave something on high for long enough, it disintegrates. Yeah. So what's the problem with the Rams? The problem with the Rams is they traded their first round pick this year in that Matthew Stafford deal. So Detroit now has oh. potentially <laughs> two top 16 draft picks. Oh, oh man. Oh, man. This is, at, this, at this point, they have silverware in the microwave. Oh, yeah. This and is look, no good. And the the thing about the Lions that nobody's really discussing oh, yet is they're basically next year going to have de facto three first-round picks. Who knows when we're going to see Jamison Williams? Like, the team that we're looking at right now right, oh, right, is right. only going to be significantly better this time next year. I can't believe anyone was drafting Jamison Williams in seasonal leagues. You think Brad Holmes wants him back ever? No, Brad Holmes is like, listen, man. You're the man. Don't worry about it. Best ball was a great pick as a stab. You know, I, we want you at 110% before you're in the starting lineup. Jameson Williams is like, hey, wh what's going on, man? Why, why, when am I going to be able to come back? And Brad Holmes is like, just just take it easy. We, we get, Josh Reynolds is making plays. Right? We got Khalif Raymond. We, you're, you're fine. You're, you're fine, Jameson. You're fine. You're and, and, I'm sure, and that's working right now with, with DJ Chark. Yeah, DJ Chark it was reported to be a minor knee injury. It's cost him like a month. The only problem is you can't pull that with Amon Ross St. Brown and his dad. No, you can't tell Amon Ross St. Brown and his dad to just wait it out, get a hundred percent, let that high ankle sprain heal all the way. Not when you're made of the material that Amon Ross St. Brown is made from. He and his dad are not going to let that happen. They're going to his dad's going to fly to Detroit and knock on Dan Campbell's door and make sure that his son is in the starting lineup. They're not going to be able to talk him out of it. Of course not. No, I mean, look, like Dr. Schmachter. <laughs> when you look at I think that the scariest part about the Lions is they're only a couple pieces away from being a really good team and they're holding them out right now. I mean, you saw early in the season, Matt, what happened week 1? with the Detroit Lions. People are forgetting about this already. They're the team that pushed the Eagles the most. They're the team that scored the most points against the Eagles. That was a good game. That was a great game. And because it's week one, sometimes you throw out week one results and they mean nothing. And sometimes they tell you something about where a team is and where it's going. That's probably the best performance the Lions will put together all year. But the fact that they're capable of that matters. And they've had top five number of injuries since then. Right. Like, if you look at the injury logs, they're, you know, near the top of the league and just you know, volume of injuries to every unit. Right. And no team is the same in week seven as they are in week one. They're not going to be the same in week 15 as they are now. We have a limited amount of information to go on, but that's a pretty important data point. If you're a Lions fan, that's the most encouraging sign that you have. No Jamison Williams in the lineup week one. And they scored 35 on what currently is the only undefeated team in the league. Like, sure, they gave up 38. We knew the defense was going to be bad. This is best case scenario. 
You're watchable. You're in every game. You're scoring all kinds of points. The defense is just bad, and that's way more addressable than having offensive deficiencies. Defense year to year is more fluid than offense. It's all sh- it's all close losses too. Yeah, it's all close losses. Four point loss to the Vikings. Three point loss to the Seahawks. It's just that they got blown out and shut out by the Patriots. Yeah, and that, that, I mean it's Belichick, right? But that happens though. Those games are out there. Those games happen to everyone every year. And then and then they then they won by ten against Washington. So the one win was it was a big win. Yeah, and like. There's a difference between a, a bad, hopeless team, right, where we're, we're searching for the answers. Where the Bears are right now is a team that has no identity. There's, no, there's nothing that you can point to and say, look, this going into the future is something that we love and that we can develop. The Lions, on the opposite end, despite having a worse record somehow, right, have all of that in abundance. You love the offensive line. The weapons look really good. The running back room looks really good. Everything on offense is basically set up for you to plug and play a college quarterback and really compete for the division in year one. Like, it's it's functionally what the 2018 Bears did with Trubisky on defense is what this team is trying to do with the quarterback next year on offense. We're, sure, we're, our defense is probably not going to be great next year, but if it's even league average and they can score at the rate that they're scoring, this team's going to be really, really good. And I don't mean just good like oh, we went 9-8 and eight and threatened teams. I mean, they're going to beat really good teams next year if they get this right. NFC Championship level good. Not Eagles level good, but challenging the Eagles yeah. and you know facing off in the playoffs with the best teams in the league. That's right around the corner. Look, what are their weaknesses on defense? Aren't their weaknesses on defense the most fixable weaknesses on defense? Their safeties and their backers just haven't been good, and they need to get a few pieces back that, that just need to be healthy. You mean Rodrigo wasn't enough? <laughs> Just getting the sixth-round rookie? Malcolm Rodriguez, the star of Hard Knocks. Yeah. I mean, when the coaches were praising Rodrigo and telling the veterans, hey, you need to be more like Rodrigo, that was a pretty big red flag. I, I kind of missed that. I got to admit, I, I was more celebrating Rodrigo and not going, <laughs> wait a second. How is he the star of the linebacking room? Wait a second. This is a bad linebacking core. And the thing is, like, when – when you have a defense that has that many holes in it, they're they're bound to be found, right? They're just playing Red Rover and finding whoever it is this week that's starting in a position that they shouldn't be and targeting the shit out of them. And like, that's okay. That's okay. This roster wasn't going to be fixable overnight, and Brad didn't try to fix it overnight. That's one of the best things about the job that he's done. He didn't try to get the quick fixes. He didn't try to go to the bargain bin and try, you know, to to mismatch a team that's going to get seven or eight wins this year. He instead said, okay, let's be really bad on one side of the ball and hope that we lose enough games to get the one guy that we still need at quarterback and then fill out the rest of this roster. Because you got to, like, that line, when healthy, might be the best offensive line in the league. If not, it's definitely up there. And they didn't give up picks. They haven't given up any picks. I'm looking. They still have their second rounder next year. They still have their third rounder. And that's a top 35 pick. Yep. So they're scheduled to have a top three pick and then a mid-round pick because the Rams are 3-3. Three and three. I thought the Rams were 2-4 and four at best. If I asked anyone on the street, hey, what was the, what's the Rams record? You a football fan? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. NFL, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rams record, 2-4. Uh, and 1-5? and five? No, they're 3-3. Three and three. They're 3 Wow. <laughs> I have no idea how. They're they're the worst three and three team. 
in terms of perception, you could imagine. Oh, yeah. So with the third overall pick, the Lions go quarterback. That's a no-brainer. And then with that mid-round pick, the Rams pick, they go safety. Another no-brainer. Yeah. And, and I mean, we'll see who, whether it's safety or, or another position that, that has value there. It's all Brad's done is whatever value that's there on the board. He's just been happy to take it. And I think that that's the same approach they're going to use this time. Unless they really want to package picks and move up to one to have their choice of who they want. And to be fair, if they want to do that, they've earned the right to do that. They built everything else the right way. That's true. That that in that one situation, right, like we've talked about how there are certain outliers. And if you believe Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud is that guy, right, where one is significantly graded ahead of the other for you. Well, is, is, is should one be significantly graded ahead of the other? I don't think so. Um, I think they're they're one, two, in whatever order you want them. No dark horse. They're they're a couple. Hennon Hooker's come on strong for Tennessee. Will Levis. I know a lot of people love the tools for uh, the kid from Kentucky. Um, but I just, it seems like outside of that top two, it's it's once again you're throwing darts and and guessing, betting on traits as opposed to hey. This is a relatively finished product as a prospect, which you have with Young and Stroud. Like they're ready tomorrow to play in the league, whereas I think the rest of them need at least a, a few, few spots on the bench. You know, maybe they're ready week ten, week eleven, week twelve. But Young and Stroud are, are you have to find a way to get one of the two if you're Detroit. I think that's the move. Yeah, the issue is if Detroit has the one hundred three, one hundred four, one hundred five. And the Texans and Panthers. The Panthers are going to have the one on one, right? They're trying. Yeah. They're going to be playing Darnold, and PJ Walker, cool buddy, and Jacob Eason. The rest of the way, they're going to have the one on one. I think David Tepper has to understand at least this part, right? He has to. David Tepper's been real. He's supposed to be a really smart Wall Street guy. Really slow on the uptake. And hey, here's how you rebuild a franchise in the NFL. And now it's out of necessity. You know, you're you're. <laughs> Your Hail Mary retread quarterback in Baker Mayfield flopped. Oh, shocking, right? No one saw that. But they've backed their way into a full teardown, finally, and they're going to get the 101. Then the question is, can Detroit secure the 102 and then just take whichever quarterback Carolina doesn't select? That's what they should do. The worry is that Houston moves ahead of them, but... It looks like Houston is a little more competitive than some of these other yeah. sort of worst teams in the league. Yeah. So there's a chance, especially when you're you're facing the Colts, you're fa- very winnable games. Even even any game against the Titans is a very winnable game. Yeah. So I think that Detroit will end up with a worse record than Houston. Unfortunately, Las Vegas currently has yeah. a, one of the worst records in the league. They're also in a difficult division. They have a bad offensive line. Everything is they're almost the Detroit of the AFC. I didn't re- I just I didn't realize it, but they are. They have the, the bottom rung defense and a voluminous offense. Yeah. The, the Raiders are fun. They're fun to watch. The Raiders are fun too. They're they're the yeah, the they're Detroit of the AFC. And that's fine. That's good. Not a problem. Right? But the problem is they keep losing games. They're gonna crowd out. They wouldn't go quarterback, would they? Or or would they? I doubt it. Right. They're, they're committed to Carr, right? They got it. They're like, right. Aren't they committed to Carr? Kind of, maybe, probably. 
I think they made the commitment to Carr when they signed all of these free agents at astronomical prices. I think they did. I think they because you kind of have to, yeah, you know, they, like yeah. you can't waste that window that you tried to open for yourself, even if it's not working right now. They implicitly fully committed to Carr without fully committing to Carr by trading for Devontae Adams, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's just what happened. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So. Well, it's really just Devontae Adams. There's no et cetera, et cetera about it. So they get a quarterback. They find a way. And, and even if somehow the Raiders find themselves to the 102, that's the perfect trade partner. Yeah, they, they just need that. So you can trade right up and get it. Boom, boom, boom. Yep. So that, that's no problem. The uh, The Eagles are in the mix there. <laughs> oh, buddy. In the top five, the Eagles right now, if the season were to end today, the Eagles would have a top five pick, the 105. That is inexcusable. I can't. The, the, the fall from grace of Chris Ballard is just it's just a marvel. Wow. Wow. The, the remarkable part about what how he's done with the Eagles is he took Carson Wentz. A product that, in theory, someone's going to overpay for because they're desperate. Flipped it into what amounts to gold in terms of NFL draft capital. Oh, baby. Drafted his replacement at a value who is now playing better than Carson did. Oh, and then he's flipped all of that instead of going into the receiver lottery again because he's just finally acknowledged, I fucking suck at this. I can't draft receiver. I'm just going to go get one. We'll just trade it for A.J. Brown, right? We're going to have to pay someone anyway. Devontae Smith can operate as our two. He's really probably a 1B. We'll go get A.J. Brown. And then we'll just draft O-lineman after O-lineman after O-lineman and beat the absolute fucking shit out of people. And, I mean, they're, they're – Matt, you saw – like, this is – I'm not big on transitive property in terms of wins. But you saw what the Cowboys did to both L.A. Rams lines just the week before. And then what Philly did to them on Sunday night. They had no shot. I mean, the game was competitive near the end. But they were just beating the shit out of them on both lines. That team is horrifying. And it's not because Jalen has ascended to some MVP caliber quarterback. It's not because of all of the weapons. It's not just because the offense is good. It's because they're capable of beating you now. Explosive pass plays, explosive run plays. They can grind out short yardage situations. They're capable of winning with defense. Their special teams has been better. This team, in an, uh, the way it's constructed, does not look like a team that has a scheduled loss anywhere, right? They're going to lose at some point. Every really good NFL team finds a way to lose a game they should win. Oh, yeah. This happens every year. Look down the line. There's no team where you're like, oh, yeah, that's the week. They're going down that week. Because nobody has been as consistent as they've been. It's not just that they're undefeated. Like, I get it. Everybody wants to love the undefeated team. People wanted to love the 11-0 Steelers. Or was it two or three years ago? Right? This Eagles team is not your regular undefeated team. They have multiple avenues to win. And the scariest of them is we're just going to line up and run power 95 times and there's nothing you can do to stop us. So they have a bye week. Then they face Pittsburgh, Houston, Washington, Indianapolis. Yeah. That's the next four weeks. And by the way, I know the Colts have the first round pick. 
The Colts gave up their first-round pick last year, and then the Eagles flipped one of their three picks to the Saints, and now they have the Saints pick. That's why the Eagles are in the top 10. They're drafting in the top 10 because they have the Saints pick, which is unfair. It's absolutely unfair. The Saints continuing to just push their chips in the middle of the table with Jameis Winston at quarterback, having lost to Ron Armstead. One of the more illogical moves I've ever seen. When I when that draft pick came, we were in Las Vegas. When that draft pick came in, yeah, we were at the Bellagio Casino, and I was like, that can't be right. There's they're not that dumb. They they can't be right. They can't be that delusional. Oh, they're that don't hey. <laughs> right? You could never bet on NFL teams being rational, right? They will always surprise you with their level of delusion. The most remarkable part of that is I remember we were sitting there and they traded down, right? And then they flipped the pick that they traded down for into A.J. Brown and picked up a 2023 one in the process. It was crazy. The whole thing was why I I just I'm just like what it was. It was a magic trick. It was an absolute magic trick. And when you had these gullible, delusional general managers on the other side of the telephone line, it makes it easy if you're Howie Roseman, but you still have to execute, right? We always think, oh, well, you know, Chris Ballard, he at least focuses on the right details. No, he doesn't. Right? It's that, and then he's also giving up incredibly valuable assets in what is panic mode, right? Yeah. Trading for Carson Wentz was a panic move, just like trading for Matt Ryan was a panic move. And the hope is with the Lions that they don't panic. No. That at no point does the, the executives, the, the equity holders, knock on the door of Brad Holmes and say, hey, it's time, Brad. Right? And put him in a panic mode. Put him in a state of panic. We can't have that. This is a really good segue into something that's really important. If you're taking over a franchise that has no expectations, you have the gift of time. Nobody expects the Lions to be good or to be great. There's no history of that. There's not. It's not like you're following in Green Bay years and years and years and years and years of success. Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell have the gift of not having to follow a successful regime, not having to resurrect a franchise that has glory days in the past. Everything they're building now, they're afforded the time to build because the product now, even right now, the product that they're putting on the field looks so much better than what was there before that we forget just how bad those 2019-2020 Detroit Lions teams were, right? How much does putting a watchable product on the field matter as long as the losses continue to pile up? I think that's the most important thing you can do as a general manager of a bad team. You want the draft pick, you need the capital, but the product has to be watchable. Okay. The Lions, they're towing that line perfectly, right? Like Carolina and Chicago are just bad. It's an unwatchable product. The team's bad. They're already scouting college quarterbacks. The Lions at least have a product that's intriguing. Sure, the losses are stacking up the way you want them to, but they're losing games 35 to 30, not 15 to 10. It's a much more watchable product. And that's really all that you can hope for in that scenario. Do you have a a top 10 teams, a power ranking? Because the haves and the have-nots, the disparity has never been wider. Yeah. 
at least in recent memory, I, I can't remember a, a wider difference between, like, let's say, the Bills and the Panthers at this moment. I can't even think of a, a, of a disparity that wide back through time. So that makes it a little bit easier, a little bit easier to have that conversation with the equity holders to say, hey, <laughs> we're miles away from the Josh Allen Bills and the Jalen Hurts Eagles. We need to take years building a foundation to get to even hope to be on their level. So please be patient. This is not something that can be microwaved. And we can give you 10 examples over the last 10 years of teams that tried to microwave a championship. Don't don't talk about the Rams. Forget the Rams. Every no. other team that's tried has you know melted the Tupperware. Yeah. The, the, as far as power rankings go, and I think one thing that's really important to note is... Well, that, that just get If you're the Lions, that the Bills are that good, it may give you an extra year or two. Yeah. And look, like as as far as people, a lot of power ratings or power rankings, whatever you want to call them, involve the teams with the best records. The teams with the best records are not the best teams in the league. If you think that the five and one New York Giants are one of the best teams in the league, you're watching a different product than we are, right? The Giants and the Jets are five and one and four and two, and that's freaking awesome. It's great for ratings. It's great it's for that region of I the like country. It. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's really cool, right? But that doesn't mean that they're great teams. It means that they were better than who they played on five out of six Sundays. And that's that's nothing to sneeze at. I'm not saying that that doesn't matter. I'm saying if you're asking for power rankings, that's very different than looking at the standings. And realistically right now, you have your favorites in their conferences and the Eagles. Where does that 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 term come from? Nothing to sneeze at? I have no idea. What is What is that? So if something is lackluster, then it's worth sneezing on or at. And and the idea that you could sneeze in a particular direction or sneeze on command, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Sneezing is a random thing. A bad team isn't random. A bad team is <laughs> it's is, deliberate is, in some cases. It takes work, right? To it takes work to undo a quality team and turn it into a bad team. It takes a lot of bad decisions. You stack them up. Yeah, and look, the the favorites, Eagles and Bills, gotta be to get to the Super Bowl at the moment. I don't even think it's like a favorite. I think it's like a lock. I mean, they they look to be on a collision course, right? But we know more of attrition. Injuries are going to happen. Some stuff's going to get weird. It never looks the same in week 16 as it does in week six. The Bills point differential <laughs> through six games is 95 plus 95. Eagles plus 56. No one else is even close. No. And so like trying to establish that second tier is so tough because normally you have your, your, you know, your favorites and then you're kind of number one contenders. And the number one contenders right now look like the Chiefs and the Cowboys based on what we've seen well that's interesting because they do have a positive point differential they're four and two they somehow did the thing where we thought maybe maybe the browns could do this maybe the browns could you know with their running game and their defense scrape together a four and two record at yep. this point and then you airdrop in deshaun watson and it's on well actually the cowboys lost Dak, and they've done that yeah they've been able to 
use their running game and their defense to not just maintain but win games, have a, a record where they're you know they're four and two, which is super impressive without Dak with Cooper Rush. They get Dak back. I think that's a that's a very wise observation that really the big challenger in the NFC is not the Bucks, it's it's not the 49ers, it's the Cowboys, and in the AFC it's certainly the Chiefs. Yep. It, it's I mean that's a collision. Talk about a collision course. Yeah. AFC Championship, Bills Chiefs. I mean that is the collision course of collision courses. And I mean, I think we're finally going to get it in an AFC championship game as we should. Um, but then there's that next tier down, right, where teams need to make a move, need to get healthy, need to have something break right. Right. And you're looking at the Chargers, the Bucks, the two Super Bowl teams from last year and the Niners. If they don't if the two Super Bowl teams from last year don't get some help, they're probably going to drop out of this tier. They're a week or two away from from being on the hey, we need to throw the life raft out and rescue them. But there is hope. They're, they've, the Rams and Bengals have shown signs of life. It's just a matter of you need to be a lot more consistent. I mean, talk about two completely and utterly different three and three teams. Yeah. The Rams continue to look like they're heading in the wrong direction. The Bengals continue to show signs that they are what they were last year. Things just needed to click into place. Joe Burrow's taking fewer hits. They're gelling. They're gelling. If I had to pick a a, a fifth-ranked team in the NFL, I'd go Bengals. Yeah, and the Niners, obviously, with what they can do, both offensively and defensively when they're healthy, I think that's a big they're – the, they're the big wild card in the NFC that I think can really ascend to that – you know, Eagles, Cowboys tier of teams where, you know, you're like, holy shit, we don't want to play them. That's right. I, I would have them number six because their point differential is actually better than even Kansas City. Yeah. They have the third best point differential. And San Francisco at their best is terrifying. You know, we, we identified that in the offseason. Jimmy, Jimmy G, though. I mean, yeah. I can't. I mean, who, who if you're ranking teams and you're going to put Jimmy G over Joe Burrow. Yeah, that's no way. tough. That's tough. No, it's tough. That's I mean it's impossible. It's impossible. That's impossible. I mean no way. Like I would, they have the same record. I would laugh. It's laughable. But yet they're, it's five six. Right. It's yep. so close. Yet so far the top five teams in the NFL I think are in a different tier, and then you're down to the 49ers, and then after the 49ers is just a smorgasbord of teams that need something, right. Ravens, Pats, Packers, Giants, Jets. If you're the Giants and the Jets. And you say you mentioned the Chargers. Yeah, and I did mention the Chargers also. As a team, the Chargers just need, and we say this every year, the Chargers essentially need to get healthy. But the, the question is, how many years can we ask that same question before we just acknowledge that this is who they are? Right? Like, we, we desperately want a healthy Chargers team because I think they can they're technically four and two with a negative point differential. Yeah, they've won three in a row. They have they have the fireworks to play with the Bills and the Chiefs. The question is, are they going to have their horses when the time is right? Like, and that has always been the question with the Chargers, even back to the San Diego days. Is will you have your guys right when it's time? And the answer forever has been no. Uh, but then that next tier down, right? Ravens, Pats, Packers, Giants, Jets. The longer that they survive, right, like the longer that they can continue to stack wins, 
the scarier these teams are going to get because at some point it's like we said, injuries are basically random. And you never know how quickly it's going to derail a season. You never know when a quarterback's going to get hurt, when a wide receiver that's carrying a lot of the offense is going to get hurt. It's going to happen. It happens every year. These are the teams that could ascend into that number one contender or into that, you know, potentially upset a favorite tier if a couple of things break right and break their way. And I think it's more important to do it that way than like, oh, this is my number seven team versus my number eight team. Like, there are clear divisions between where the tiers are, right? It's basically the Eagles and the Bills, then the Chiefs and the Cowboys, and then everybody else. But there are opportunities for those teams to, to, to you know, come up and challenge them. It's just the top four this year is a lot more solidified than I think we would have thought. The Chargers did add Khalil Mack. That was very savvy. I mean, they didn't know that Joey Bosa was going to be lost for 10 weeks, but Joey Bosa was lost for 10 weeks, but he's going to be back at the end of the regular season. Matt, did you notice what they did last week? This is a really interesting thing. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to think maybe the Chargers are the sixth best team in the league. Brandon Staley did something that I have never, ever seen before. He took his $82.5 million prized offseason acquisition in J.C. Jackson and sat his ass on the bench. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. They, they're waving the white flag after five weeks. And here's the thing. It immediately improved the defense. Like, it, he might not be 100%, though. He might be playing hurt. He might not be 100%. Because there's a lot of pressure. You sign an $80 million contract, there's a lot of pressure to get on the field and get your body ready, in quotes. And especially also, you know, leaving Belichick to go anywhere, right? The assumption is there's going to be a bit of a drop-off. Now it's been drastic. But... Not a whole lot of coaches are willing to do that. And it's why, like, you know, we have the love-hate relationship with Brandon Staley and the things that he does. But for the most part, most other coaches are not willing to risk upsetting a player like that. Whereas it seems like all he cares about is getting the best guys on the field. And if that's the approach, I think, you know, he was right in doing that. And the the Chargers are just terrifying, right? They're, they're a 40-burger waiting to happen. If if they if they click into place, they're dropping thirty or forty on anybody. They could beat the they can beat the Bills any given Sunday. They there that's a team that can beat the Bills. Yeah, like and look like the the weird part about the AFC versus the NFC is your possessions matter in the AFC so much more when you play any of those teams. When you play the Bills, when you play the Bengals, when they're at firing all cylinders, the Chiefs, the Chargers. Every possession matters because you're not just playing the defense that's in front of you. You're also playing the offense on the other side, and you have to play their game. The unfortunate part about it, if you are a team like Pittsburgh, if you're a team like Cleveland, you can't do what you want to do. You you can't play ball control with Kansas City. They Mm. will kill you. They want you to run, too. They will incentivize you to run. They're going to incentivize you. Brandon Staley's done this for years. He does not care how many rush attempts you get and what the yardage looks like. You always play running backs against the Chargers. Yeah, they're they're incentivizing teams to run. Why? Because long-term, you're going to die by the 1,000 paper cuts that you think you're killing someone by. That's really what's going on here. You're bleeding clock, bleeding clock, bleeding clock to an efficient offense that can strike at any time, right? Buffalo's perfect example of this. They've all but abandoned their run game. Their run game exists for fun. It's the frosting. Forever, we were told that the run game is the cake and the pass game is the frosting. 
in the last decade plus that's flipped, but now they're not even trying to run the ball. No, this is analytics infiltrating the NFL. Right. Actually infiltrating the coach's office. Right. Basically what they're saying to you is we know that on third and eight plus, we can get enough chunk plays to sustain these drives and kill you that way. Right. So if we can do that and we know we can do that, we're just going to try it on first and second down too. Because God forbid we get into third and 10, we only have to hit one of them. And we're betting that our guys can win one of those three. And you have to do that every route down the entire field for four quarters of a game. And you just can't. There's no, there aren't DBs in the league that can hold up to that. It's just not possible. This sounds like how Purdue has to play Ohio State. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting conversation that I had with a buddy. There is a college football theoretical point of no resistance where if you are an efficient enough college football offense, there is a threshold that you reach where you'll drop 35 to 40 on anybody and 40, 50 to 60 on bad teams, right? Where your offensive efficiency is so high that the only chance that another team has to actually take you out is to bait you into turnovers. You've got to play super ultra-aggressive coverage, hope to come down with a couple of picks, maybe have a special teams play swing your way, and that's your best chance to win because you're going to have to score 30 to 40 points no matter what. And if you're not capable of that, right? Like Ohio State-Iowa this week's a great example. Iowa is going to have to run fake field goals. They're going to have to onside kick. Anything that you can to steal a possession – because Ohio State, Tennessee, Alabama a couple years ago, these offenses are hitting at a clip where you're forced to play them a different way even when you're on offense, right? Because if, you, if you're talking about the relationship between offense and defense for a football team, if your defense is going to be giving up chunk play after chunk play after chunk play, you have to come up with turnovers or your offense has to consistently go for it on fourth downs, create situations. You've got to flip the algorithm on its head to an extent because if you just do what you want to do, you're going to look like the Steelers and the Panthers. You can't just die. If you want to run your offense against a team like that, you're going to die. Like it, It's just it, there's no way for you to sustain drives at the rate that you have to to score with these teams if you run the ball as often as you're told to run the ball and try to play ball control. We watched this happen live in real time. For anybody that watched Michigan-Ohio State last year, that's what Michigan did. They knew that their advantage was in the explosive run game, not the explosive pass game. And so they didn't even bother trying to pass until they saw the looks that Ohio State would give them that they knew we can hit a quick one, back to run, back to run, back to run, right? And that's not analytics. That's literally just knowing your team. And you get a possession or two stolen when the team goes for it on fourth down and doesn't hit, or you get a takeaway. This is how NFL teams are choosing to adapt college football's schematics is the wrong word, but they're adapting college football philosophies of the NFL to try and figure out what do we have to do to beat a Buffalo or a Kansas City operating at their peak because Kansas City figured it out last year, right? You got to run trick plays. You got to go for it. You gotta, you gotta try to whatever it is, steal possessions on special teams with onside kicks. Increase the variance. You need to let the ball bounce your way. Give the ball a chance to bounce your way. You have to do that because you know you're outgunned. So you got to get creative. 
if you're going for it on fourth downs and crazy situations and doing all that stuff, yes, you're absolutely increasing the chances that you lose. You're probably going to lose anyway. That's your only opportunity to increase the chance that you win, right? You're not going to play a clean football game and beat Alabama. It's just not going to happen. You know what's so funny is everything that you're saying, I heard for the first time in the Big Ten in the late 90s, okay? Northwestern University was the first team, the Northwestern Wildcats were the first team to be in this situation where they knew they were outgunned because they couldn't recruit most players because of the academic standards. It's the reason why the Duke football team is terrible every year, right? But somehow the, the different different rules for the basketball team, that's a whole other topic. Okay? Yeah. That's, that's another show. That's another podcast, okay? But it was very difficult to get the depth, to get the playmakers in recruiting, so what do you do? You had so I I was actually there when they started implementing this. Gary Barnett left, and the the sort of the the ball control play action pass sort of Rose Bowl team of the mid nineties uh, cratered, and they had a winless team. And Gary Barnett was was uh, moved on to Colorado. They brought in a new coaching staff and. They started to implement the spread attack. Started to em- emulate the Rams in the like the 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 Dick Vermeil Rams. Oh yeah, in the NFL, and started to work on coming to Jesus about the chances of winning playing a traditional strategy, in-game strategy, week in week out. You're gonna lose. We're gonna get to get beat by 30 against Ohio State every time, unless you try something new, unless you play up tempo, five receivers every play. You start to go for it. A lot of trick. We started practicing a lot of trick special teams plays. Started to create just a new mindset about tempo, 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 going for it, going for it, going for it, and just trying to get edges on the margins and so when the ball does break your way you're actually in a position to drop that big play on an opponent and suddenly you're up 10 and they don't know what the hell's going on northwestern won a lot of games in the last 20 years with that strategy and the the really interesting part about it right is modern everyone essentially at this point runs some variation of what we would consider the shotgun spread right And there are really true trees that that came from. There's the spread to pass, the air Coriels, you know, that whole tree that led down to BYU and and Andy Reid and and that whole side of the tree. But then there's a second tree that kind of branched off of it that was born the inverted veer, the run and shoot, whatever you want to call it, that turned into the shotgun spread option that Urban ran at Utah and then Dan Mullen took with him and Urban took with him all over the place and everybody started – taking and stealing concepts from that. That's what they did at Northwestern because Randy Walker coached under Urban Meyer at Miami of Ohio. And then following all of this, right, right there. there is a section of coaches that are known as the New Hampshire Mafia. They all have tires in New Hampshire. And back the University of New Hampshire, way back in the day, there was a coach who you may have heard of named Chip Kelly who kind of took these mm. concepts and integrated them for the first time, all of them together. 
and just ran the craziest offense anyone's ever seen. The quarterback of that team was one Ryan Day. Who is? Ohio State's head coach. So now... Just making sure, because this is an NFL audience. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. And so one of the reasons, right, when, when we try to project players to their next level, right, one of the most difficult things that we do is project quarterbacks going from college to the pros. Why? Because if you're an Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson quarterback, your life is made so easy by probably a better head coach than you had in college than the pros. Your receivers and your O-line have a bigger talent disparity than they're going to have in the pros. And the margins are much slimmer. Right. Like even if you're great at what you do at the college level, it's why you see a Ben Roethlisberger from a Miami, Ohio, a Josh Allen from Wyoming. Right. They didn't have that talent disparity to work with, to learn, to see it, throw it. Instead, you've got to learn some of the anticipatory stuff. You've got to try some weird shit on your own, figure out what works for you. All of I say all of that to say this. Right. The easy eval for Justin Fields going from Ohio State to Chicago. The biggest reason that that mattered, that we thought that that would be a really good fit, and I say we, I mean just people that watch all the film, it's because Nagy was implementing or attempting to implement the offense that he, that Ryan Day and Chip Kelly taught him. And so if, if you're going to try and make it work, you have the perfect guy to make it work. Obviously it didn't, but that's the difficult part about evaluating quarterbacks, right? And so to pull it all back to kind of what Carolina at the 101 is going to do, I think realistically, if they have their choice, they're going to take Bryce Young because everything that this franchise has ever done suggests that they're going to try and do things the old guard way. And the old guard way is to take the Alabama quarterback that won the Heisman, that Nick Saban is probably screaming in Tepper's ear, take my guy, take my guy, take my guy. And the process would lead you, right, even as an Ohio State fan, I had Bryce Young ahead until this year. And Stroud has taken the step that Bryce just hasn't yet. And okay. so I would take Stroud one, Young two. Bryce Young to the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Bryce Young to the Detroit Lions is a fantastic fit because those receivers can separate in a way that Carolinas can't, right? You're going to trust the timing and the accuracy of a Stroud, and you're going to trust Young to do what he does off script in Detroit when plays break down. They're much better fits that way. But I think Carolina at one is going to try and take Bryce Young. And that's where that's where all of this shit gets so hard, man, right? Like the Detroit did everything right to get their guy. And now they may have to sit there and decide, you know, do we give up multiple picks to go get the quarterback that we think should be one overall or will he fall to us? That's the fun in the draft every year. Rounding out the top 10, because I really don't think that there are 10 teams that are capable of of winning a Super Bowl. I think no. that we've named them all. I think there's at most three in the NFC that can go to the Super Bowl. Eagles, Cowboys, 49ers. In the AFC, there's a few more. Yep. There's just better teams in the AFC. Bills, certainly. Chiefs, Bengals, Chargers. And then after that, it's uh, yeah, it gets thin. <laughs> then you look at the, the point differentials. You're like, well, look at New England. Look at New England. New England has done what they've done, which is a positive point differential with Bailey Zappi, plus 28. And they've been like grinding out a 3-3 three and three record, winning without Mac Jones. And then the question that you ask yourself is, is there something that they're doing functionally different with what Zappi is in there versus when Mac Jones is in there? 
I don't know. All I know is it's not Zappy's job. There is no zapping. It's not zapping. It's the Mac Jones show. And when he returns, I believe that Mac Jones will return with a Tyquan Thornton weapon at his disposal, which he did not have a downfield weapon at his disposal, more versatility. And I think we might see a new, different, better version of Mac Jones than we saw earlier in the season. I think that a lot of those learnings that have been implemented under Zappi will continue under Mac Jones. So it's very excited for the New England Patriots. I think this is a playoff team. We could have three playoff teams from the AFC East, and the Jets are not one of those. No. Right? When you actually look at the power rankings, when you actually look at the (laughs) – what we schedule adjust. I mean, come on, man. No. Yeah. No. But Buffalo, Miami, New England, all in play. Miami and New England are dangerous, but I wouldn't call them contenders. No, that's perfectly described. The other team that we didn't mention, I think, should be considered as a top 10 team is Minnesota. We can't forget about Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you that San Francisco is a better team top to bottom. Yeah. Right. If you compare unit by unit, even though the Vikings have a better quarterback... The 49ers are a better team. Yeah. Now, a question for you. What would you say to one Odell Beckham Jr. signing with Minnesota? I think it it adds a dynamic element that Kevin O'Connell clearly previously used to major success with the Rams. And when he in the offseason was talking about how he used he's going to use Justin Jefferson the way Cup was used. It could have meant all kinds of things, right? But basically what he was telling you is we're just going to scheme him targets over and over and over again. And if you're Minnesota, right, you have a couple years to really buy in before you're going to have to pay Jefferson boatload of cash, before you're going to have to pay all kinds of players on that roster boatloads of cash. You're already paying Dalvin Cook a lot of money. Like You're 5-1. and one. You're a playoff team. You're going to win this division at the very least. But – if, if there is a time to hit the button, it's now. It's now. He knows Odell. It's the same system. The comfort level is there. The assimilation period will be very short. They're getting nothing, nothing from K.J. Osborne. Yeah. It makes too much sense. And I have a source. I have a source which is telling me this is happening. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be electric. That'd be really electric. And I think like the Rams desperately need him, but... Minnesota is definitely a better team than the Rams are today. And and I mean, if you're Odell, you're going to the best team that you can, right? Like Anybody that's willing to give you the money that you want, there's whatever that number is, you're going to the best of those teams. And right now, Minnesota is just a better team than the Rams are. Odell Beckham Jr., welcome to the Vikings. Odell Beckham Jr., welcome to the Vikings. Love to see it. That's the show. Ohio State's there. Bama's gotten there. Clemson's gotten there in years past. 
Tennessee. This is might the point of no resistance. Right. Basically, there is a point where you reach an offensive efficiency that you are going to score 35 to 40 points against just about anybody. Mm -hmm. And the game then becomes, as a defensive coordinator, if you're going to hold this team to lower than that number, you need to start gambling. Like your, your coverage has to change and you need to take really aggressive chances because they're going to score at that rate no matter what. Your best hope is to take the ball away. And you're starting to see teams try to bait Buffalo and Kansas City into doing the same thing, right? Mahomes last year kind of learned, like, I can take the, like, I can take the checkdowns and, like, like, eventually they will have to adjust to what we're doing and adjust to the fact that I'm willing to take these checkdowns and then the big plays open up again. I think you're going to see, like, you're starting to see the pieces of it. It'll never quite be that way in the NFL just because the, there's not the talent gap that there is in college football. But you're starting to see NFL teams try to replicate things that are working successfully at the college level in mass and mm-hmm. trying to take bits and pieces of it, right? Like Buffalo's all but abandoned the run. And it doesn't matter because they're creating explosive pass plays at a rate that's sustaining drives for them then in theory, the cheap rushing yards that you need to sustain said drives are, you know, kind of being it, it's rendered the run game basically irrelevant. It's right. just there as a it, it's frosting. It, it doesn't do anything for them at this point. And it's interesting to see that they've turned that into something that they can not only functionally use, but the teams are terrified of. They're incentivizing them to run. Brandon Staley's entire approach in L.A. right now is we do not care if you run for 300 yards. Do whatever you want to do on the ground. We're not. We're going to try and not let you throw. And so, like, all of these crazy approaches that are coming out of, really, like, I mean, some of them are coming from college, but Staley and, and when he was with the Rams tried to do the same thing. They did not care if you ran at all. And so I think that, that juxtaposition now that you're getting to the point where passing offenses in college football are so explosive – that they're basically dictating coverage to the defense and that kind of, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth iteration of the chess match between offensive defensive coordinators is going to be, okay, how do we stop these basically unstoppable offenses? Well, we're just going to have to gamble. Like there's nothing else you can do. Michigan did it to Ohio state last year, play ball control, hope you get a couple cheap turnovers or they turn it over on downs one or once or twice. And that's it. And like you're starting to see that game plan used against Kansas city, against the chargers, against the chiefs. Um, and I think it, to some degree, you'll start to see it used against the Eagles. It's just a really interesting, like I hadn't really thought about it until it was brought to me, but you can kind of see the fingerprints moving from one to the other. It's a good. It's a. It's a. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but yeah, it's. It's kind of. Yeah, these teams have to approach when you play the Bills. You have to approach it like a team playing Ohio State. You have to approach it like Michigan State playing Ohio State. Yeah, and I think the thing is like, if you're gonna try and make informed decisions about a game, right? If you're gonna adopt analytics the way that they're intended to be used, and not the way that it's kind of been bastardized into, oh, the numbers say this, right? If you're using them as intended. Who you play absolutely matters, and the decisions that you know that they're going to make that aren't being calculated into what's going on here also matter, right? If you have fourth and three from your own 40, and you're a 14-point dog, and you're playing Buffalo, you might have to go. Like, 
it, it doesn't sound right and it, it's going to increase the chances that you lose, but it's also going to increase the chances that you win. And basically as a dog that big, all you're trying to do is increase the variance. There's, there's no like NFL team, like it's what we identified with Pittsburgh last year. They'd rather die a slow death than increase both the chance that they win and lose. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. There's a really good, like um, when you went to the power rate, um, power ranking stuff i did a uh, i don't know if you've ever took taking a look at uh jeff sagarin's stuff that he does where uh, it's it's he work i think it's usa today now okay um uh, but basically he has a power rating model it's not a ranking it's a power rating model that simply adjusts for your offensive defensive efficiency and what you do and then in theory creates a rating and then there's a home field advantage modifier that gives it that creates a spread for you, right? So like right now, the the number one team in the league is Buffalo, and they'd be favored against Kansas City by essentially almost three. Okay. And then at home, that modifier is 1.84, so essentially two points. So in theory, Kansas City at Buffalo would open Buffalo minus five. So when you go down, right, the, the really interesting part of this, the Jets, despite being four and two, are 25th rated on this list. Right, like, doesn't surprise me. There are some very interesting discrepancies here, where the Giants are twenty third. They're five and one. Right, like, <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So like, New Orleans, in theory, right? The model has Miami as a two and a half point favorite neutral field against the New York Giants, like. Which makes sense. Which makes all the sense in the world. The really weird Transitive part about property, they've beat the Bills and the Giants have really not beaten anybody except who the Packers. But if the Packers aren't even good, but the the question then becomes right, like how much of the old data can we trust? Like a team in Week 13 is not the same team that they are Week Two, mm. and we know that because the Rams were arguably the worst team in the league in November last year. Like it's it's just strange, right? Like I think one of the weird parts about uh yeah, it's interesting. The 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 point differential, Miami's point differential is negative twenty four. Yeah, and it's not like Miami's highly ranked. And the Giants' point differential is plus fourteen, and yet still, Sagarin like the power rankings would have Miami eighteenth overall, essentially at a twenty rating, mm. and the Giants at seventeen point seven five. And like, it's interesting because the top four teams that this has here are really, really interesting. It's Buffalo, then Kansas City, then Tampa, then Cincinnati, and then the Eagles. Dude, AFC West, three out of the four teams, negative point differential. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling embarrassed about that. Oh, my yeah. God. This is going to be a really good division that's got a long way to – they've got so much stuff to figure out. AFC North has given up more points than they've scored. That's not good. But the AFC East is dominant. The AFC yeah. East is dominating, dominating. Only the Dolphins, who beat the Bills, have a negative point differential. The Patriots are plus twenty-eight. They're this has Wrong. them ranked twelve. Like, yeah, the Patriots are looking pretty good. Bailey Zappi has something. My my daughter's gonna be very happy about that. I can't believe Atlanta has a positive point differential. Holy cow! Yeah, there's a lot of weird shit going on here. NFC North, we called that. Terrible yeah. division. Just an overrated, terrible division. And we called the AFC, the NFC East being underrated, being super strong. Yeah. Except Washington. 
yeah, the Giants were sneaky. We talked about that all offseason and that the Eagles were absolutely a, a, a threat to be the NFC Bills. Yeah. You said that. Seattle. Crazy. I did not see that. Well, all those teams, though, have negative point differentials with the exception of San Francisco. San Francisco is looking very strong. The other teams are looking not. How are the Rams 3-3? Three and three? I I have no idea. That team is bad. When you close your eyes, you're like, what are the Rams? I'm like, they're either two and four or one and five. And it's like, no, they're three and three. They're just bad. Like, there's no, and I think everybody wants to think that there's some magical quick fix. The team is bad. Like, there's no. (laughs) No. And and, and McVay's not a quick fix guy. No. McVay's, we we run our system, we run our plays, and we execute at a higher level than everybody else. He's not a. We're going to adjust on the fly at halftime. He could have. He tried. He didn't adjust at all. He didn't adjust before the Patriots Super Bowl, and then he didn't adjust at halftime when they were, when they couldn't. When it was clearly a dogfight. Yeah. So then, then they lost, and then they won. But it wasn't like they won because of adjustments in the Super Bowl last year. They won just because they had superstars making big plays over and over and over and over again. I mean, like the, the the major concern from our end, just like as a fan, is. When Odell went down, the offense went stagnant until that final fourth quarter drive where it was just literally throw the ball to 10 and get the fuck out of the way. And it required Matthew making three or four of the best throws of his career in a row and Cooper doing what Cooper does over and over again. Like, mm. sure, in a moment, that's sustainable. It works. Like, that's the, it works. Yeah. Like I said, they executed at a very, 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 very high level, but it wasn't like scheme adjustments were the reason. Nah. I mean, I think a lot of it was just, hey, we're going to run essentially route concepts to clear out stuff, and we're running one route. Basically, it's just fine to end, get open. That's it. And the longer that goes on, I think the more concerning it becomes that, I mean, if Van Jefferson is supposed to solve the problems. When's he coming back? I think two weeks. It'll, it'll be nice when he comes back. Skoranek's been basically used as a fullback. Like Skoranek's been outscoring... Allen Robinson. Yeah. They're essentially using him as a, you know, as an H back, as a fullback, whatever you want to call it. I mean, they're functionally like, the thing about McVeigh that's so different than what Shanahan does is Shanahan looks for tight ends that are tight ends and is willing to have them put their hands in the dirt and play tight end. McVeigh, on the other hand, wants a receiver, wants a blocking fullback, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Guys that can quote unquote hold up on the edge at tight end that don't necessarily have to play the position. That way you can scheme run numbers, but you have an advantage in a pass fit. It's just a matter of Cooper Cup is that talented. Can you name the one team with a worse point differential than the Carolina Panthers? There's one team. Is it the Bears? It's got to be. No, it's the Steelers. Yep, yep. The, The fading the Steelers into oblivion is looking pretty good just based on point differential. Yeah. Because it's not about adjusted point differential because you factor in the schedule. So all yeah. you care about if you're in my chair is the point differential, period, because we looked at the schedule that factored into how you were playing the season totals, wins over unders. Yeah. So I uh, feel good about that. When uh, Pickett's back there, he gives them a chance. Uh, Detroit 1-4 and four is really heartbreaking. That's the heartbreak. The only heartbreak on the board that I'm looking at right now, because we were right as rain about so many of these teams, Vikings, Eagles, 
on down the board. It's just it's just the Lions, man. What a heartbreak. Mm. They just have no defense whatsoever. I know. I know. Like, it's like points four. They they're they're scoring a ton of points. Like they, they have the same number of points scored as the Saints, as the Chargers. The okay? Saints are really solid. As story. the Jaguars, as the the Bengals, the Patriots, the Jets. They're scoring the same number of points as all those guys. It's just they've allowed a hundred and seventy points. You, you assume Yikes. when you're when you're looking at this that okay, units are going to improve, especially as you invest in those units, right? They're going to invest in the defense. They're going to invest in the secondary and the pass rush. You know what what happened to Aiden Hutchinson, right? It's like Akuda Hutchinson. You're going to bring in all this talent. Yeah, I assumed that there there would be a, a stepping forward of the defense uh, with the Dan Campbell at you know. Coaching them up, and then, 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 no. Nah, I think that that's the big problem. All they have to do is give up the. They have Oklahoma's problem. Fifth most, sixth most points in the league, and they have an even point differential because they're scoring a ton of points. They're they're literally Oklahoma. They're, they're Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma, but without the talent gap that Oklahoma had with everybody else. That's literally what the Lions are at the moment. Is it? Is it? Injuries on the because I know the injuries are on the offensive line. Is there injuries on defense? The the thing is the corners have been good. Like if you look at the grades for Akuda and Oruwariye, they're they've been good. It's the safeties that suck. It's the safeties and the backers that have been terrible. Like, well, you know that was a bit of a it was a red flag on Hard Knocks when the sixth round rookie was getting all the praise. Malcolm Rodriguez. It when when. Rodrigo, when they were t- when they were telling all the veteran linebackers to be more like Rodrigo, see that sh- instead of celebrating Rodrigo, we should have been like, "Whoa, their line, their backers must be the worst." Oh, they're really bad. Malcolm Rodriguez is awesome. So they have bad backers, bad safeties. They're a year away, man. That's very fixable in the draft and free agency. Very fixable. Safeties and linebackers, very fixable. This is playing out about as well as you could have ever hoped if you're a Lions fan. They're going to have an incredible draft pick. They are now in play to get a quarterback. This is actually according to plan. Oh, my God. This is Brad Holmes is is so many levels of genius right now. This Brad is Holmes is like, take your time coming back. Everyone on the offensive line, everyone, you DJ Chark, take your time, take your time. I, I don't think he can tell Amon Ross St. Brown to take his time because Amon Ross St. Brown is just made of adamantium. Yeah, dude is a freaking warrior. Yeah, so he's not gonna be able to tell him anything because he'll he'll make calls dad and his dad's gonna show up. Dad'll fly in, show up at the facility, be like, "Did you tell my son he can't play?" He's like, "Well, he has a high ankle sprain. He's playing. He's playing." You know, so they can't do that to him, but they could. They could soft pedal everybody else and and try to try to back into a, an elite quarterback. How many quarterbacks are going to go in the top ten this year? I think three. Three. So if they're one and four, Young Stroud, and then uh, one of the other guys will go up. Whether it's Levis, whether it's you know, I don't think it's going to be Tyler Van Dyke. He's a terrible. So Carolina, Houston, oh my God, this is playing out so perfectly. Carolina, Detroit, and Houston have the three worst records. Yeah. And they all are going to be big time in the market for those quarterbacks. That means that there could be three in the top five. Yeah. And the other thing, too, very important also, they have the Rams pick. And if the Rams don't improve. Oh my God. All right, we got to talk about this. We gotta, let's just go live. 
Let's just let's talk about this, okay? Just make sure not to go live, live. No, no, I mean sorry. I gotta start recording. I meant I meant hit the I meant hit the record button. You're good. This is the decision point with Anand and Dury. Anand, welcome back. Oh. <laughs> this point they have silverware in the microwave dr schmachter who buddy where does that 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 term come from nothing to sneeze at i have no idea what is what is that so if something is lackluster then it's worth sneezing on or at and, and the idea that you could sneeze in a particular direction or sneeze on command, that doesn't make any sense. Sneezing is a random thing. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy.